0: So get ready, it's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey everyone, it's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I am glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. Two things before we get into today's episode. First, and I say this on every show, if you have not already done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. We have such phenomenal guests on this season and we've had great ones on so far. So go check out those other shows. And secondly, you all know that we've got the Move the Ball merchandise store up and running. We're always adding some new pieces. So go check all of that out. There is a link in the show notes. Go have a look, get yourself some swag and rock that you are part of the Move the Ball movement. Because as you know, together we move the ball. All right. For today's episode, I've got a phenomenal guest with us. Somebody who definitely knows how to keep things moving. Inside the huddle with us, And ready to talk about his experience and share what he has done to move the ball, is Irv Smith Sr. Irv, how are you? Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you today.
0: Well, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. I know we've talked about having you on for a little bit. And first off, something that we've talked about a lot is how hot it's been this summer. You know that I've been traveling to Nashville, to New Orleans, some other places. You're in Arizona, and you guys have had some record heat this last month. What what has it been like out there recently?
1: Well, to be quite honest with you, Jennifer, I don't consider a record heat. I mean, it's June, it's going to be July here. It's always 110, 115 Ugh. here, and then it's going to get as hot as about 118 or 119. Uh, that's just how it is here in Arizona every summer. That's the Arizona heat. So at the end of the day, this is just normal for us. We learn how to stay inside, keep the air conditioning fans on and just be smart, get through the summer and then get back to those beautiful months we get to once we hit October on to the rest.
0: I gotcha and stay hydrated too. That's very important in this heat as well. So let me share a little bit about your background for our listeners. Irv is a retired NFL tight end who played college football at Notre Dame. He was drafted by the New Orleans Saints in the first round as a 20 overall pick of the 1993 NFL draft. Irv played seven years in the league, five with the Saints, and then one year with the 49ers and another year with the Cleveland Browns. Irv also has a son who is playing in the league. He's also a tight end with the Minnesota Vikings, Irv Smith Jr. And Irv also played at my alma mater, uh, the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. Got to get that in there and out of the way. All right. So are you ready, Irv, to move the ball?
1: I'm all ready to move the ball.
0: All right, and you played at Notre Dame. We've had some other Notre Dame greats on the show. Most recently, Greg Bell. I know he's a few years uh, before you coming into the the league. We've also had Corey Miner, Kenan Tatum. So some awesome people on the show. Shout out to all of them. Now you've been around the business of football for a long time, or if you've played at the highest level. When you look at, I, I think there's so many things that competitive sports teaches us to be successful in the sports in life, in business, and everything that we do. When you look at your experience and the things that you've done, what are some of those lessons that being a competitive athlete has taught you to be successful?
1: Well, I can tell you this, Jennifer. You know, being an athlete, I mean, I started playing sports when I was about five or six years old. And, you know, my parents never pushed me to play in terms of, like, pressure. They wanted my brother and I to play sports. Today. Number one, it kept us out of trouble. It kept us occupied. It kept us in shape. and And the things that coaches did. I was very fortunate that through my career, whether it be, you know, elementary school, Pop Warner, uh, obviously at Notre I played for Coach New Holtz, who taught me and many of my great friends lessons in life. I think the, the better level that you get to, uh, the better coaching you get, it's really not even about being a good athlete, it's about being a good person. And they all realized one thing, that one day playing sports was going to be over, but what sports could do for the rest of your life. And I think that's the most important lesson that I learned about playing sports is that it's great to do. It's something that's going to keep you in shape. It's something that could potentially change your family financially. But the most important thing it's going to do is going to allow you to persevere through life. And we all know that life has ups and downs. And if you learn how to deal with those, you can be successful.
0: Absolutely. And so you've played sports since you were very young. You mentioned your brother who also played in the league. Were you guys very competitive with each other growing up?
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That was my biggest competition. And the, the blessing for me was he was my older brother. So I was constantly chasing him. I wasn't the chasee; I was the chaser. And so my brother was always, you know, he was two years ahead of me. He was always bigger than me. He was always faster than me. He was always stronger than me. He was always winning the awards before me. So my only goal for me was I was trying to win the same awards that he won. So by everything that I did to chase him, those are things that helped me to become successful and actually, you know, uh, achieve a lot of things that I wanted to achieve.
0: Oh, I love that because there's always going to be somebody that that's bigger than you, faster, stronger, better at the craft, right? And so when you align yourself with those people, that's what really helps you to level up because you're surrounding yourself with other people that are at the next level, at a higher level person. They talk about, you know, your network is your net worth. The people that you surround yourself with is so important. And I tell people all the time, like, look at who you're spending your time with on a daily basis and are those the people that are below you in terms of their accomplishments are they on par with you or are they better than you because you want to be with the smarter people the better the faster people because that's how you're really going to improve
1: absolutely you know like i said having his he wasn't too many years above me so that i was it was unattainable he was at the perfect level i mean when i was a freshman he was a junior when i was a sophomore he was a senior And then by the time he graduated my junior year, I was ready to take over the leadership role because now I'm a junior. And so it was just every step that I was behind him, I was exactly where I needed to be. And then once he moved on to the next level, my goal was to get to where he was. And it ultimately helped me to achieve all the goals I wanted to achieve when it came to athletics.
0: Now, when it comes to football specifically, I mean, I've been a student of the game since I was four years old, fell in love with the sport really early. I did not grow up in a football family. What about football for you made you fall in love with the game?
1: Well, you know, my parents actually did not allow me or my brother to actually to play football until high school. Growing up, I played soccer, I played basketball, I played baseball. I was terrible at basketball. I was great at soccer, but I wasn't going to be Pele. And I loved baseball. And believe it or not, I played baseball actually uh, until my junior year at Notre Dame. So I played baseball at Notre Dame as well. But I started playing football in high school my freshman year. And it, it was just natural for me. I fell in love with the Way sport was, it's like being a ty- you know, I was a receiver my first couple of years of high school because I was behind my brother, who was the, the he was the tight end. So it allowed me to develop my skills as a receiver. And then by the time I got to be a junior, when my brother graduated, I took over to start tight end, and I was able to take those receiving skills, add those to the blocking skills, and blossom my abilities. So at the end of the day, you know, I didn't play high football growing up. You know, I played with kids. I played flag football. I played on the streets, but I didn't play organized professional, or organized football until high school, but it actually allowed me to save my body. So that by the time I became playing tackle football, my body wasn't all beat up.
0: Gotcha. And on the show, we talk a lot about the business of professional football, the business of the NFL. And I want to walk through kind of your time playing at Notre Dame and then transitioning into the league. But the the game of football has changed over the years. So has the business of football. When you look back at when you were being a professional football player to what the life of a professional athlete is. Now, what are some of the key differences in terms of the business as well as just, you know, things that you need to be top notch on to perform at this level?
1: Well, the thing about the business side, I've always been a student of the business side because I think that's the most important thing. You have to understand how you fit into the puzzle and how you fit into the puzzle is is all about economics. It's not about specifically the player you are. It's how you fit into that role. Those are things that I learned. I was a player rep. For the majority of my time in the league for about six years when I was with the Saints, when I was with the Niners, when I was Brown, the Browns. So I was actually involved in all those meetings with Gene Upshaw way back in the day before he passed. So I was involved in those meetings when they developed the, the collective bargaining agreement, all those things that go with the business side of the sport. In terms of the physical side of the sport, it's different because back when I played, it was traditionally you just worked out with the team. Now everybody has their own facilities and their own, you know, they go to their own training people and their own training you know, organizations and they are all over the country. They've got some in Florida and they got some in Arizona and got some in California and some in Texas. And those are the, the the places that guys kind of go to to get their skills top notch. Whereas when I was playing the, the onus was on the organization to hire the best trainers and the best, the, the guys that had you in the weight room, and the guys that had you on the speed. So it's changed now to where guys are taking it upon themselves individually to become the best they can. And then showing up for, training camp or showing up for OTAs or showing up for things and their skills are where they need to be because they work away from the score you know that's where they're doing it now before we all came together and we trained as a group so I trained with the other tight ends I trained with the other receivers you know we did one-on-one so it's just different now because guys are you know it, I think it's a little more individualized it's not as team focused and guys are just individuals now we're back in the day we were more of a team and more of a a, a cohesive
0: Gotcha. Now I want to run things back for you. So you're you're from New Jersey. You went to Pemberton Township High School. You were that little well, fun fact. You were the first NFL guy drafted out of that high school. Since then, Johnny Troutman also came from your school and he played for the Chargers. Why did you choose Notre Dame?
1: Well, believe it or not, when I was coming out of school, the, the most important thing to me was I was actually looking to play baseball. I told you earlier I love baseball. Uh, my brother actually never went to college. He actually got drafted by the Chicago White Sox in the seventh round. Of- major League draft and he bypassed playing college football, college baseball, and he went directly into minor leagues for about eight or nine years. So when I was coming out, I still loved the sport of baseball, actually more than football. I liked football. I loved baseball. And so I was looking at schools like Clemson. I recruited to visit Clemson. I went to UCLA, USC, uh, went to Florida State. Deion Sanders was, was coming out of Florida State. I went to a trip to Florida State, uh, Deion's senior year. So I fell in love with schools that I could be I wanted to be Bo Jackson and the truth of the matter was I wanted to go to Auburn and I wanted to play baseball and football at Auburn like Bo did and I wanted to play professional baseball maybe be a two-sport star my last recruiting visit was University of Auburn and the week before the trip I got a call from Auburn and said hey Herb we just signed two tight ends from the state of Alabama we don't have a scholarship for you and so I literally uh, at that point committed to Clemson University I was going to Clemson and Notre Dame, a guy named Vinny Serrato was a recruiting coordinator there. He, you know, he, you know, many years, he's done many great things in the NFL, so on and so forth. But back then, he was a recruiting coordinator for Notre Dame. And he begged me to come to Notre Dame just for a visit, even after I committed to Clemson. And I was like, yeah, OK, I'll come out for a visit. That's about it. And I committed Clemson that morning, went to Notre Dame that afternoon. And the whole weekend I was there, I just fought it. Like, I was like, I can't go here. And by the time the visit was over, I left there and I said, how could I not go there? It was head and shoulders above any school that I visited, way more than football, way more than, than baseball. It was all about what could Notre Dame do for me once I finished playing sports, whether that be after my college career, whether that be after you know playing one day in the NFL or after playing a, a career in the NFL. I had no clue what it was going to be like, but I realized that if I did not go to Notre Dame, I'd be shortchanging myself, and it changed the entire direction of my life. And I'm grateful that I did that.
0: And can you elaborate on what are some of the other things you felt that Notre Dame can do for you?
1: Well, the most important thing, I I met a guy by the name of Rodney Clover, and Rodney Cobra was a uh, he was a freshman, uh he was a year ahead of me, he was a running back, he was actually in a class with when I say that there was uh Ricky Waters and Tony Brooks and Anthony Johnson, I mean Rodney Cobra was a freshman. He was probably fifth or sixth string at the time, but all he talked to me about was Irv, if you come to Notre Dame, the difference between going somewhere else in Notre Dame is whether you play a day in the NFL or not, this 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 is going to change your life when it comes to life after football. He said that the resources, the networks, the things that Notre Dame people can and will do for you is head and shoulders above any other school out there. And when I went to the other schools, not one player ever talked to me about anything outside of football. All they talked to me about was, come here, you have a chance to win a championship, you have a chance to play on TV. Notre Dame gave me the option for football, but then everything else. And so once I really opened my eyes to realize that this thing is way bigger than playing uh, big-time college football, big-time college baseball, this thing is bigger than life, I realized, you know what, what opportunity would I give up? Like, if I gave this opportunity, up to go somewhere else and missed out on this. And now I'm 30 years, and you know, I graduated, it'll be 30 years next year, I graduated from Notre Dame. And I can tell you that everything that Notre Dame told me they were going to do for me, they've done it times 10.
0: Well, I think that's fantastic. And you bring up you know, the networking is one piece. That's something I'm very big on. I work with a lot of student-athletes, work with pro-athletes. and it's about developing your network early so that you can set yourself up for whatever it is you're going to do beyond football. You're doing that now and not waiting till it's too late and you're struggling and scrambling to figure out what's next for you.
1: Right.
0: So as you look back on your time at Notre Dame, what was the culture like there? And then I'm going to ask you, have a fun Lou Holtz story to share with us.
1: Absolutely. Well, culture was, it was all about winning. And when I say winning, I don't mean winning on the football field. Winning on the football field was our force. When I got to Notre Dame, every year there was 25 recruits in every class And contrary to today, today, Notre Dame, they think their goal is to finish in the top five in recruiting. Our goal in Notre Dame every year was to finish number one. I mean, literally, if we finished number two, I remember my freshman year at Notre Dame, we ended up finishing number two. We actually ran the table. We lost to Miami the last game of the season. We ended up going to the Orange Bowl, and uh, we we won the Orange Bowl against Colorado. And they ended up leaving us number two. They moved uh, Miami. And they put us number two and we finished the season off number two and we ended up losing one game that year. We literally felt like we failed everybody because at Notre Dame, it was either number one or it was nothing. So the culture was winning. So what happened was we knew we were gonna win on the football field. We knew that we were all great football players. So winning to us was, you know, I got a, a ninety six on my, you know, my my math test, or I got a ninety four and someone else, I, I got a ninety seven. You know, we were competing Outside of football, because we already knew that every other, we are the number one quarterbacks in the country. We have the number one tight ends in the country. I mean, I didn't even start until my senior year at Notre Dame. I was a backup to a guy by the name of Derek Brown. The year before me, Derek Brown was like the 14th pick in the draft. I was the 20th pick in the draft the very next year. And then behind me, a guy named Austin McBride, a guy named D. Kuklewitz, and so on and so forth. So in our positions and on the football field, everybody was going to win. I mean, I can tell you stories of other positions and other you know, how deep the depth chart was. So at Notre Dame, being successful in the football field was par for the course. So all we fought for outside of football was who's going to do better in the grades? Who's going to do better playing hopscotch? Who's going to do better playing, you know, bookstore basketball? It was anything we could compete them against each other for. And because we had that mentality as 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old 20 individuals, that's what drove us to the next stage of our lives to being successful outside of football and outside of Notre Dame.
0: I like that. And I want that Lou Holtz story. So give us a, a good story about Coach.
1: Well, I can honestly tell you the number one story about Lou Holtz for me. Some people know the story. Some people don't. Well, you know, I played baseball at Notre Dame. I played football at Notre Dame. And when I got to Notre Dame, Lou Holtz told me, Irv Smith, you want to play baseball in Notre Dame? You have my blessing. And that's fact. And so I was, one of the, I was the only guy at the time that was playing both sports. There was a couple of guys who played. Pat Ellis played. Frank um, Jacobs played. But I was a guy that was playing two sports in Notre Dame. And freshman year, I did it. Sophomore year, I did it. Going into my junior year, I go to Coach Holtz and I say, hey, Coach, you know, it's, it's like everything else. It's time for spring football, time for spring baseball. How do you want to work it this year? And Coach Holt sat me down in his office and he said, of this. he said, we love you. You have a great family. He said, you're great for this organization. He said, right now, it's baseball season for you. He said, play baseball. He said, don't even worry about football. Let let us go out there in the football field. We're going to do our spring practice and everything like that. We've got great players like Austin McBride. and We have great guys on the the team that right now you're not here. They're filling in for your position. He said, when football season comes around, he said, you love baseball. He said, I want you to stay on the baseball team. Do not even worry about coming out for the football team. And he said, and don't worry. We're not going to take your scholarship from you. He said, right now you've been the number two tight end for the last two years. And I don't want to see you be the number three tight end because guys right now are passing you by. And I looked at him. And he said, don't even worry about football. And I, I said to myself, wait a second. You're telling me that I don't need to play football anymore? And he took it away from me. And I, and I was angry. So I left his office. I went and talked to a guy named Joe Moore, who was the offensive line coach. Joe was kind of like my coach at the time because we never had a dedicated tight end coach. And I, I said, coach, I just talked to Coach Holtz. And he told me he doesn't want me playing football anymore. And he was like, are you serious? So he grabs my hand He walks into Coach Holt's office. He's like, Coach, what's going on? And Coach Holtz was like, yeah, I just told Herb I don't want to be in the backup any longer. He said, I'd, I'd rather Herb just play baseball, what he loves. And so Coach Moore and I left. We went and talked. Coach Moore said, Irv, he said, what do you want to do? I said, Coach, I love football. You need to show Coach Hopes that you truly are committed to football. So what I did was took some time off from baseball, told the baseball coach, who was Pat Murphy, I told him, I said, Coach. I'm going to focus for the next couple of weeks on football because that's my bread and butter right now. I mean, I was a good baseball player, but I wasn't great. And I went on the football field, and Coach Holt let me go out on the field and play, and I went from being like fourth. He put me like fourth string at this point. I was supposed to be like the, the, the number two guy. He put me at fourth string, and a couple of days later, I worked myself up. The, and I was running scout team. I mean, I was doing stuff I never did before, but he, he demoted me. And before I knew it, after about two weeks, I was back to my normal, my second position. And it was crazy because from that point forward, I made a decision that, you know what, I can keep playing around with this baseball thing because I love it, or I can focus on football like I need to. And what I realized was that what Coach Holtz was doing at that point, he was challenging me. He was trying to let me know, Irv, I know you're a better football player, but you don't realize that yet. And he woke me up. And that story lives with me forever because at the end of the day, I gave baseball up. I ended up getting drafted in like the 20th round, like a year or two later, which, you know, 20th round is nothing. But then I became a first-round draft pick in the NFL. And the rest is history. And I thank Coach Holtz to this day because the thing I tell people all the time about Coach Holtz is he knew how to get the best out of each and every person. He knew that for me, what I needed to do was be challenged to wake me up and make me re- make me realize that football was going to be my bread and butter and to stop playing around with this baseball thing because I love it and start doing this football thing because I was great at it.
0: I love the story. And something you made me think about is leadership. It's another topic that we talk a lot about. I do a lot of speaking on leadership and working with executives on how they can grow in their leadership abilities. And you mentioned that Coach Holtz knew how to bring the best out of every person. And that's what a great leader knows how to do. They know how to adapt their style, their communication with each person so that they can bring those people into the best version of themselves and develop them accordingly.
1: Absolutely. And that's what Coach Holtz is all
0: about. So you were drafted first round, as you just mentioned. What was your draft process like? The NFL draft today is very different. Than it was back in '93. It's a lot more flashy, a lot more for show. And then you have social media now that's just you know blowing it up. And there, there's lots of lots more press and publicity with technology than there was back in the early '90s. What was it like going through the draft process for you?
1: You know, I'm grateful that the process was where it is. It was when it was because I think today it's it's too much for for television. Uh, I was very fortunate when I came out. It was either go to the draft and be on television or you just go somewhere else or stay home i mean they might have did like a little caption but they didn't have big draft part i mean it was it was it was one or the other and i was fortunate that i did get an invitation to new york and i did actually accept the invitation i mean they typically want you to go if they believe you're going to be a first round pick i mean obviously they don't want you there for a the second round pick unless you just want to be there and i was hoping to be a first round pick it was definitely not a guarantee and I, I put the bet on myself and said, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to go. And that year, Drew Bledsoe was the first pick in the draft. He was there He I mean, showed up in, you know, blue jeans in and in a, in a flannel and a cap and boots. <laughs> Drew was a straight country boy, but he was the first pick in the draft. And then I remember uh, uh, Willie Roach was the eighth pick. Willie was there and Willie McKee. I mean, There's a lot of guys that I played with that were there. But I was active. All the guys that were at the draft that year, I was the last guy drafted but I was the 20th pick. And back then, I think each team got like 30 minutes. So, you know, it it, it was on a Saturday. It wasn't like it was on a Thursday. We went all day long. And I think I got drafted about 6 o'clock at night. It started at like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. So it was just a different kind of a day. But I wouldn't change the world for the world because my parents were there. My agent was there. Like I said, Willie Roth and I were both there together. He got drafted. He was the first pick drafted by the same eighth pick. And then I was the 20th pick. We both got drafted by the same team. So the next day we both got on the plane and flew to New Orleans together and we were roommates for the next five years. And he's one of my closest friends of his day. So that was a blessing for me because it brought two guys together that would have never been together and, and it changed our lives forever. The process going up to it, we obviously had the combine and, and we all went to the combine. And I did that, but there wasn't these, uh, camps you go to prepare, prepare for the combine. You train with the same guy that trained you for the last three or four years at your facility. You worked in the forty yard dash. You worked in the the high jump. You worked in the agility drill. You know you did the same basic things, and you had a pro day. But that's about all there was. All this stuff today, where these guys go to these places and spend twenty and thirty and forty thousand dollars, and have nutritionists and have that stuff didn't exist. The, The cream rose to the top. You went out there and prepared. You prepared the same way you prepared to get there, and you showed them what you had, and they decided who they wanted. Nowadays, guys are going out. You know they're 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 finding ways of of running faster, but does running faster equate to what you do on the football field? Not necessarily, because if that's the case, you should have been doing that for the last three or four years, not when you're finished your college career between that and the draft. But that's just kind of what they manufacture things to be today. So once again, you know that's why I think that unfortunately there's a lot of guys that end up being bust today because they're they show good numbers on the uh, at the combine, but what did they do for the last three or four years? I think this
0: what's most important. And you bring up a good point. I was just at dinner the other day with some players and we were talking about the combine and the positional drills. And what does that really mean compared to how you're going to perform once you get into the league? And I mean, you've got people that are training for those specific drills, but look at the film, look at how they performed when they're on the field in college. And so that's more of a, a measure of how they could perform versus just your combine drills or your pro day drills. But there's a lot of emphasis that are placed on those specific events.
1: Absolutely. And, what, and that, that's the way I look at it as well. Like I said, what did you do for the last three or four years? And what these guys are doing is from January when the season's over until uh, April when they do a combine, you know, you're know, you masterminding how to do that, almost like manip- manipulate the numbers. But what did you do for those first three or four years while you're playing football? That to me should be more important than anything else.
0: Sure. Now, I want to talk about your transition into the league. I feel like a lot of kids today, young men today are more aware of the business side of being a professional football player. They're more prepared for, hey, this might not last for a long time. Most likely it will not. So I need to be making sure I'm setting myself up for success beyond this sport. When you transitioned into the league, what were most of the guys that you were playing with or other guys that you knew that had gone to other teams? Like what was their headspace like? And was it just like, oh, cool, I get to play professional football? Or were they really prepared for this being a business?
1: I think probably ninety percent of the guys were not paired. The biggest thing that's going on now today, I think, is because of the money, you know, you can play in the NFL for a couple of years. If you're smart and you're good with your money finance, you can be set up for the rest of your life if you do things the right way. When I played minimum salary was a couple hundred thousand dollars, which, you know, those businessmen that make more than that in their sleep, and it's not gonna set you up for the rest of your life, especially after y'all Sam gets his cut. So I just think that today, because there's so much more money to be made, that these guys obviously are going into it with, with a little more headspace and more resources to help them to be successful off the football field whether they' played two or three years whether they played for 10 12 15 years because there's so much more money to be made. Guys that I play with did not make nearly as much money after a two or three or four year career because obviously they weren't making that much money and unfortunately because of that when their careers are over they definitely have to figure out something I like the football and I think to be honest with you if it wasn't for the money, majority of the kids today would still not be prepared for life after football. The, I think the number one thing that's helping 99% of the players today is that because they do have the money, that's what prepares them. Most of them are, are coming out of school with no degrees. They're coming out of school short shorter degrees. They can go back and get their degrees, but they weren't prepared for life after football. The money that they're getting is what's preparing them for life after football.
0: That makes sense. Now, you spent most of your career with the Saints. What was the culture like of that organization?
1: Back then, it was very poor. You know, anybody will tell you that when I played back in 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, you know, Tom Benson was our owner, a great man, God rest his soul. But the leadership was bad. You know, Jim Moore was our head coach. We didn't win. I mean, we lost. And, I, and Jim Moore was a great man. But football-wise, you know, they still they kind of called us the Aints. My rookie year, we, we started off uh, 5-0. and We ended the season uh, 8-8. So you can tell when you start off 5-0 and and you lose the last – Eight of your last 11 games, it's a pretty rough season. Our team was older. We had like a lot of guys that were eight, nine, 10-year-old, 10-year vets. So we were in the rebuilding process for the next three or four years. Jim Moore ended up leaving the team in the middle of my fourth season. And then we hired Mike Dick of the following season. And he was a disaster. I mean, I can honestly tell you, you know, Coach Dicker was an absolute disaster. He was not a, a 90s coach. He was a, an 80s coach with the Bears got back into the league back in the 90s in 98, and I think he destroyed the team. Then they had a lot of rebuilding to do for the next five, six, seven years. And then they brought Sean Payton in, of course, and then he, you know, he turned the organization around. But it took many years for that to happen. When I was there, totally different. The, the, the thing about the Snowball Saints is their fans absolutely love the team, win, lose, or draw. But I will say that when I was playing there, the fans liked the team but they like a winner more than they like a team that's losing and they're like different than they are. Than I was playing.
0: And as you look back at your time with New Orleans, what was your most memorable experience or favorite game being with the team?
1: You know, it's, it's tough to say. I can just say that my most memorable experience was just the players. You know, I, I, I can sit here and ramble off names of guys that are some of my closest friends, my dearest friends of the day, because of our times there, we used to have a little bowling league, me and a guy named Ernest Dixon and, um uh, Tyrone LeGay and a uh, a guy named Willie Broughton who came to us from cowboys and it was a group of us, and we used to go bowling two or three times a week in the off season and it was like our Super Bowl I mean we literally would go bowling and we played hard and we were throwing money out there. I mean it was just it was so much fun to this day, I'll never forget that because it was so much different. it wasn't football, it was all about camaraderie. And then we would go eat or we'd have a barbecue. The relationship that we built with the guys on that team back then to this day, those are guys i find them on Facebook after 20 years. Ago. Oh my gosh, man, how you been, man? And hey, man, have more ways to go home. You know, we talked about those days back 25, almost 30 years ago. And those days we'll never forget. And they'll, they'll be near and dear to our heart forever.
0: For sure, yeah. The camaraderie that you build, those bonds last for a long, long time. To your point, even if you don't talk to them for a long time, you can just easily Reconnect and the, the relationship is like you haven't been disconnected for a little while. Absolutely. So when you got out of the league, some people, as you know, some people struggle with that transition. How was that transition for you? Was it fairly easy? And if so what were you doing to set yourself up for a smooth transition?
1: Well, believe it or not, I started my transition out of the NFL my first year in the NFL. In 93, I got drafted by the Saints. I was down in New Orleans, you know, obviously training and stuff in that heat. And I fell in love with a uh, franchise called Smoothie King, which most people know Smoothie King in New Orleans. And believe it or not, within one year, I actually opened my first Smoothie King location up in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I was playing with the Saints. It was my second year in the NFL in 1994. I knew that I wanted to have a business outside of football when I retired. And instantaneously, I opened my first Smoothie King up. I moved the girl that I grew up with from church out uh, from New Jersey to Arizona, and she ended up managing and running my first store. And by the time I retired in the league in 1999, I think I had five or six locations all in Scottsdale, Arizona, because I knew I wanted to live out here since then. And so that's how I started my transition. And from there forward, it was just developing other businesses and other things. And when when I walked away from the NFL, I was actually in camp with the Washington Redskins. The same guy that brought me to Notre Dame 10, 11 years earlier, Vinny Serato, he's the same guy that took me to San Francisco. And then at that point, he was the uh, general manager for the Washington Redskins. He actually uh, asked me to come to camp with the Redskins, compete for the job out there after I left the Cleveland Browns in 98. So I went to t- train camp with the Redskins. The truth of the matter is I woke up one day in the military camp, and I was like, I'm done. I just... I just knew that my time in the NFL was over. And I walked into North Turner, our head coach's office. I gave my playbook and I said, Coach, I'm done. I'm, tra- I'm, I'm retiring. And you know, he, tried to get, he tried to convince me to stay. And I said, Coach, it's not about you. It's about me from this point forward. And I made the decision to, to turn my playbook in, to sign my, my termination uh, paperwork with the NFL. And the rest is history.
0: Well, I think it's very smart of you to be thinking about how can I use my resources early in my career to start setting myself up for business success. So you're doing all kinds of things now. You're doing a bunch of traveling. I know one thing you're excited about is you're going to be going to Ireland soon here this fall. Tell us about this trip coming up. Well,
1: that's not, not this year. That's next year. It's 2023. Oh, okay. The fall is 23. Uh, a group of us in Notre Dame. And we're, we're trying to do a bunch of stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, most of us are getting to that age where we're, you know, 50s. And, you know, we've worked a bunch of years. And now, I mean, I think a lot of us are looking forward to just traveling and enjoying life. So we want to travel and, and do some things to support organizations like we that we love. Notre Dame, obviously, is one of them. The Saints is one of them. Teams we all play for. So we're, we're trying to do some trips. We're going to be going to Ireland as a Notre Dame group. Pretty big group, about 810 of us uh, following the team. We're going to play some golf. We're going to sign some autographs, shake some hands, kiss some babies. And just get a chance to interact with, with with some loyal Notre Dame fans, or people that love the sport. And so we've got that planned for um, uh, when Notre Dame plays, I believe it's Navy, over in Ireland in 2023.
0: Oh, that'll be a fun game for sure. So someone else who I know who is going on the trip with you, uh, she knew that we were going to record the show, Lisa Kelly, your former classmate at Notre Dame. Just want to give her a shout out. She's written a couple books about Notre Dame football. You were included in her, first book but she's an awesome uh, awesome lady and so i know that uh she's going to be excited to be going on that trip with you as well
1: yeah lisa's been a great support for us you know it's funny because when you play football obviously all your teammates and stuff are guys but there's a few select girls that kind of fall into that group that are just kind of like one of the guys you know and, and that's not easy for women because obviously people think of football is a uh, a macho sport a guy sport and the people like yourself that are females that are very versed in the sport and actually that love the sport. You know, you guys are not the norm in terms of, you know, truly knowing and loving the sport. And Lisa is one of those kind of people where she's always been kind of one of the guys, you know, we love her as a friend, but we respect respect her also as a colleague and respect her as a person that loves Notre Dame football is there for all the right reasons. And we certainly appreciate her support because she supports us. She does books and puts, includes us in the books allows us to share ourselves uh, with the resources that she has as well. And that's very special to all of us.
0: Yeah, she's awesome. So again, shout out to Lisa, keep doing your thing and keep moving the ball. And you made me think about, I mean, you're right. When it comes to women, like it's been very hard. There's been a progression over the years and it's neat to see more women being taken seriously in the sport, but it's been a tough journey. There's a lot of people that don't think that women know the game or how could you possibly, because you're a female. And so, it it's great to have folks that have embraced us and really seen that we do provide value there was a, a guy he's a dad of two former auburn players who played in the NFL and you know i went to bama so there's that bama auburn rivalry but uh, he he's always been a supporter of mine and he he posted on social media the other day about my move the ball book and he said you know some people will will never think a woman knows anything about football but yet they never question the male coach that's never played the game and it made me think when he said that's very true, as if you're a, a male, people just assume, OK, well, you know, football, they don't know about your experience. It doesn't matter what your experience is. They just because you are of that gender, you're automatically given this credibility that you must know something about football or you'll you'd know more than any female there is out there.
1: Well, the thing that I encourage people in general, if they really want to understand football, it's getting under the hood. It's not looking at the doors and you know looking at the, the shiny stuff that you see on a car. It's getting under the hood and actually understanding how a car works. It's understanding how football works. It's understanding how offenses work. If you can talk to a person, they can talk to you about, like when I played the most prophetic offense was the West Coast offense, you know, developed by Bill Walsh and the not ran it. And before you know it, the Packers are running it because of Holgram and then the Eagles are running it. And then, you know, so on and so forth. Everybody ran the teams that ran the West Coast offense understood it. Well, it's understanding the offenses, it's understanding the 4 3 defense or the so, if you're a person that understands that stuff, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, it all works the same. So, the thing I encourage a female to do is it's not about sitting in the stands and saying, I see them running a play. It's understanding what plays they're running and why they're running them. So, there's guys that don't know the game, there's women that know the game, there's guys that don't have a clue about the game, there's women that know, you know, it, it is what it is. So, it's fortunate that I was in those huddles. I was in those meeting rooms. I was going through old um, paperwork the other day and I came across a couple of my old playbooks. You know, I have them, you know, if I wanted to coach a team and run an offense or defense, I could use those and run because once again, the, these are the Bibles that, that actually you use to win and lose football games. And that's really what it's all about.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So Irv, what I want to do now to close the show is run you through my two minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. First question Is when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be a police officer.
0: Oh, nice. Next question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself?
1: Fun, loving, energetic.
0: Three great words. What is one thing most people don't know about you?
1: That I am, I love to cook.
0: Oh, what do you particularly like to cook or just anything?
1: I love to cook anything with seafood.
0: Okay. Next question is, if you had one intro song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be?
1: All I Do Is Win by Rick Ross.
0: Okay, great, great song. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to?
1: Uh, The the, the Ten Habits of Highly Effective People.
0: Okay, that's a good one. Uh, Next question is, you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why?
1: Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and Martin Luther King. And why? Because I respect all three of them.
0: Okay, great answer. Last question is, do you sing in the shower? Absolutely. Okay, the follow-on question is then, would people say that you're good? Terrible. (laughs) That's okay, you just rock out.
1: (laughs) Facts. I just love it. I play music in the shower and I jam out to it every day.
0: All right. And uh, where are you at on social media? How can people follow you and keep up with all the great things you're doing?
1: You know, I don't post a lot, but if you want to get a hold of me on social media, it's going to be big time 8284 on Instagram. And it's just Irv, IRV, Irv Smith on Facebook. I do have a Twitter that people contact me on all the time. I believe it's Irv Smith. I'm not even sure what the handle, is. <laughs> I don't pay attention to it. But, you know, if anybody that knows me, they know they can find me. I've had the same phone number for probably 23 years. So if you have a number of mine or you Google me, it's gonna pop up. And the funny thing is, I get mailed probably three, four, five days a week uh at my current every home I've lived in, in Arizona, people send me, you know, old cars they want to sign. People can find me. I don't know how to get the address, <laughs> but they have my home address because every time I go to the mailbox, I get three or four cards from people that are asking to sign it and send it back. So I'm out there. If you want to get a hold of me feel free anytime I respond to pretty much anything and everything people request of me.
0: Perfect. And we will have your social links in the show notes. We won't post your address in the show notes though.
1: There you go. Thank you those all <laughs> of As we
0: look like to close the show, any last thoughts for our listeners?
1: You know, I just appreciate you, Jennifer, sharing this platform with us. You know, I, I enjoy, you know, being a reminisce about those old days because those old days are what makes things for us. You know, that's what makes us who we are. And I appreciate what you do in, in terms of, your love for the game, your love for people. I love watching your posts. Every time you post pitch with people, you can tell that people really appreciate you, respect you, enjoy you. And I'm just going to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing and, and keep moving that ball.
0: Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And thank you again for joining us on today's episode.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Once again, if you have not already done so, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a future episode. And also, If you like the show, share it with a friend or two or three or more. That's one way you can help me to move the ball. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business, with your brand, or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com.